Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our ministry when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's part two of Pastor Michael's son, Pastor Shane Lance's teaching in Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 14, called The Bondage of Legalism. We have to understand a few things when we read scripture. There are narratives and normatives. So just because the narrative is there doesn't mean it's the normative. So that's one example is something happening in the Bible doesn't mean it should be normal in the Christian's life. Um, Another principle is historical context. There are a lot of different cultures that are being written to, like in the Pauline epistles, when Paul writes letters to the church, he's writing sometimes to very specific um, uh, cultures that have very specific rituals and ways that they do things. And Paul learned to become, like he says, all things to all men, and he knew who he was writing to. Just as Jesus did this perfectly, he always knew his audience and how to most effectively reach them. And so I'll I'll give you an example. I wear a ball cap sometimes on Sunday morning. That might bug some of you, and that's fine. You are entitled to that opinion. But the point in which it becomes legalism is when you come to me and tell me that I am in sin for wearing a hat on this stage, because I'm not. Because the only verse you can point to is in 1 Corinthians, and it says that if a woman's head is covered, she defiles herself. I'm sorry. If a woman's head is uncovered, she defiles herself, and if the man's head is covered, he defiles himself. So if you come to me and tell me that I'm defiling myself, according to 1 Corinthians, because my head is covered, I will ask you, is your wife wearing a shawl? Because if we're going to be consistent, we need to be consistent. But the thing is, that is a letter written to Corinth at a specific time in history when head coverings were normal. And there was issues in the church that were being addressed, and Paul's specifically addressing those churches for that time. So when we come into 2023, if your worship leader is wearing a hat, don't scream at him because it's okay. And frankly, God is far less concerned about the outer and a lot more concerned about the inward. And so that doesn't mean that we just throw modesty and respect out the door. That is not what I am saying. There is a time and a place, don't show up to a funeral wearing bathing suit and flip-flops. That's just probably not good etiquette. I don't know if it would be sin, but it's disrespectful. Okay, so there's a line there where you can walk that line. But the, the point where it becomes legalistic and becomes, I would argue, toxic is when we begin to impose our personal opinions on other people. And oftentimes, I will say this because I understand this, our opinions are rooted in our upbringing. Amen? Would you all agree? We all come from different upbringings. Some of us grew up in very conservative denominations of the Christian church where you were required, and there are churches like this today, to wear a three-piece suit on Sunday morning. And there are churches in our day and age, and I think this is shameful, that won't let you in the door if you are not appropriately dressed. Jesus just said, come to me all who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Far be it from his bride, his church, representing him to reject somebody at the door because of the way that they look. Now, I believe that modesty and being conservative in these certain areas is a natural overflow of intimacy with Jesus. So if somebody in your life struggles with dressing immodestly, both male and female, that is something you can pray for them for and give them biblical counsel in a gentle and compassionate and loving way and guide them towards a better way. But it's not something that you say, 
there's no way that person can love Jesus and dress that way. Well, how do you know that? You don't know that. In fact, I would be very careful when you make statements like that because what if somebody saw your, your lowest moments and, you know, I mean, can you imagine if we had your lowest moments on camera and we said, we're going to now put Barbara's uh, tape on the screen and show you her worst sins. Yikes. Yikes. A lot of people would probably look at our lowest moments and say, there is no way that person loves Jesus. And this is where we meet God's compassion and grace with his justice and his rules, okay? So it, my point is this. We have to find a balance, you guys. If we, the whole thing is, if we walk through those doors on Sunday morning with all our presuppositions and our opinions, and we are only driven by those things, and that's how we gauge everything, first of all, it's selfish and it's prideful, but it's also unbiblical. Because what should happen is I walk through those doors on a Sunday morning and I say, Lord, whatever you would have for me this morning, I surrender in humility to you and I receive it. Now, does that mean we turn off our discernment when we walk through the door? No. Absolutely not. I remember years ago, I was listening to a sermon from Alistair Begg, and he was a young pastor at the time. He's a Scottish man, and he has a uh, church in Cleveland, Ohio now. He's one of my favorite pastors to listen to. But he said when he was, uh, first became a pastor, he was in Scotland, and uh, there was this huge Scotchman, Scotsman that was in the congregation, a big old guy with a beard and a cane, like the raspiest voice, just like a dude you, you don't mess with, right? And he had been sick. And so one of the first things that Alistair had to do in his early pastoral ministry is that some of the other pastors took him along to this guy's house. And Alistair happened to be getting ready to teach that Sunday. It was one of his first times teaching, if I recall correctly. And they go to this guy's house, and the guy was kind of sick and in bed, and they prayed over him. And I'm not, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to nail this accent, but I'll try. And uh, the, guy, the guy said to him, listen here, laddie. And he like brought him in, you know, he could like feel his breath on his face. He said, I'm going to be sitting in those pews. And if you say anything off, I'm going to rattle my cane in the pews and say, heresy, heresy, right? And I was like, dang, that's terrifying. And so Alistair tells the story that that next Sunday he taught and the guy sat right in the front row and just stared at him the whole time with his cane in hand. And Alistair said, I was really thoroughly prepared that Sunday to make sure I didn't say anything heretical or blasphemous. That's how every pastor should approach every sermon, by the way, with, because the reality is that we will be judged by every word that we say. Every careless word will be accounted for, and so we need to make sure that we are diligent in our preparation. And the same thing is true for you. You should know your Bible very well. It should be the sword that you wield in every battle, and it should be ready to be used. Amen? And if you have not used it in a while and there's some dust inside there, you pull that thing out of the sheath and it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's time to get that thing sharpened, okay? So you need to know your word so that you can wield it and stand against the enemy. And so we know this too. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, many of you will know this verse. It says, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be somewhat equipped. No, it says thoroughly equipped for every good work. You don't need to add to the scripture. Churches that have fallen into the snare of trying to do all the theatrics on Sunday and bring people in. I heard this from a pastor the other day, and I thought it was so good. If you win people into the church through theatrics, you must keep them through theatrics. If you win people into the church through the truth and power of the gospel, you will keep them through the truth and the power of the gospel. That is all we need. We don't need to add anything to it. It is already sufficient. And in this situation, what has happened is you have men who have tried to add to the word that God has already spoken, 
and they are making a huge mess. And what has happened is they put the people in bondage in their effort to try to refine things. Like O'Donnell said, every conceivable question on the Sabbath had basically been answered by some sort of ridiculous law. And so Pastor Michael said this last week, on the Sabbath, it was almost like you couldn't even move. As a Jewish person trying to honor the Sabbath according to these man-made traditions, it was like you may as well just sit on your couch all day and do absolutely nothing because if you move, you might risk breaking the Sabbath. And I might say this too. It was no small penalty. They saw and viewed breaking the Sabbath as equal with first-degree murder. And so if you broke the Sabbath and you were caught breaking the Sabbath, sometimes people were put to death for breaking the Sabbath. This was an absurd, uh, graceless, lack, completely void of compassion system that had been put into place by the religious leaders. And unfortunately, there's nothing new under the sun because the, the Protestant church has been guilty of this. There are, did you know that there are denominations? This church is non-denominational. And I, I actually enjoy that. I appreciate that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with denominations. But there are denominations of our modern Protestant church, did you know this, that, that think because we worship on Sunday, we have taken the mark of the beast. That's real. You can Google it and figure out which denomination. I'm not going to put them on blast today. But there are bizarre things that begin to happen when men try to add to the word of God. And so there are millions of people today walking around under this yoke and this bondage. What did Jesus just say at the end of chapter 11? His yoke is what? is easy. It's light. The yoke that men put on other men when they add to God's word is heavy and burdensome. It is literally opposite of what God intends for us. And it is not by our works that we are saved. Um, I have many friends who are Catholic and this is where I struggle with Catholicism. I do believe that there are people within the walls of the Catholic Church who genuinely understand who Jesus is and love him and know him. And that is what it takes to be saved. Amen? But there are traditions and practices within the Catholic Church that are just not biblical. You will not find them in Scripture, and you can search and search and search, and you won't find them. Because they are man-made traditions. And what happens is, and we do this here too, some of you have a seat that you sit in every Sunday, and if somebody else sits in your seat, you walk in here and you're like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> Don't they know? Tradition, right? And so everybody has traditions. Everybody has those things where we, we all have traditions. Everybody uh, walks in here and they have their way of going about their normal business. The problem is when we cling to those things so tightly that we can't see good in anything else. And so... Would you just relax? That's really what Jesus is essentially saying to the Pharisees. Would you guys just relax? That's my translation. I, don't quote me on that, okay? Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says this. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And it is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works. And this is so that no one may boast. See, the problem with systems that are predicated on me working is it produces pride. Because now I have stake in the game and I can say, well, yeah, I mean, God has been good to me, but I mean, I've been pretty good too. I went to mass every week. I went to church every Sunday. And I'm not just talking about the Catholic church here. Let me be clear. There are people maybe in this room this morning who think because you're here, you're good with God now. But that's not how this works. He wants your heart and your mind and your soul, not your, not your uh, you know, petty little things where you say, well, I checked this box and I checked this box. I spent exactly three and a half minutes in this verse and then I moved to the next one. He doesn't want your systems. 
You'll hear more from Pastor Shane Lance in a moment. Hey, listening family, this is Pastor Michael. I want to tell you about a very special event that we're hosting at the church where I serve as senior pastor. It's called Living Truth Christian Fellowship right here in the city of Corona. It's the Dare to Defend Apologetics Conference. I'll tell you, some of the top apologetic speakers in the Christian world. This is Lenny Esposito. Now, this conference is designed to specifically tackle our sex-saturated culture and provide answers to the challenges believers face today. Subjects that fill today's headlines like What is critical theory and is it compatible with faith? Now, we'll also tackle really specific church issues such as the battle for the biblical Adam and Eve, the war against the family and how our relationships are being undermined. We'll also deal with how our culture is losing its grip on knowledge as real. Why don't you check it out today? Go to walkintruth.com. Look for that link at the top of our site, walkintruth.com. And you can link right there, sign up, bring some friends and grow in your most holy faith. God bless you. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael's son, Pastor Shane, on Walk in Truth. He wants your heart and your mind and your soul, not your, not your uh, you know, petty little things where you say, well, I checked this box and I checked this box. I spent exactly three and a half minutes in this verse and then I moved to the next one. He doesn't want your systems. Now, if you are a person who needs some, uh, some habits to help get you in a routine, there's nothing wrong with that. If you know that you need that routine to get into your word every day and to get to church on time or whatever it may be, then, then do your routine. But don't hinge your salvation upon that routine. And that's what's happening here. You're not saved by what you can do. You're saved by the grace of God. It's a free gift. And so we can't miss that. Proper theology brings forth the fruit of not pride, but humility. And the more I understand who God is and what he's done, the more time I spend in his presence and in his word, the more I realize I utterly deserve hell. The more that you get to know your creator, the more wicked you will realize you really are. And the more you will realize how much you need his grace and his mercy on a moment-by-moment basis. Can I get an amen? Sometimes we're doing so good. We got the worship music playing in the car. We're cruising down the road and then that guy cuts you off and the things that come out of your mouth are anything but holy. And I, I, you know, I've, my wife and I have been talking about this, how real that becomes when you have small children who are like sponges and soak everything in. And, uh, you know, the other day I, I was in the garage. I had Melody. I have a little swing for Melody. I do a lot of carpentry work and stuff and I was doing some things and she's, uh, sitting there in her swing, and I dropped something, and it hit my foot, and I said, ah, shoot, and there goes my daughter. She's almost two, and she goes, oh, shoot. It's like, oh, no, uh, that's, no, honey, don't, don't say that. I don't like that. You're too young, and they are just like little sponges. They're, she's like a parrot. She just absorbs everything, and so when we are operating in this way, we need to be conscious of even how we are representing Christ to others. Does that make sense? And so let's look at verse three. He said to them, have you not read what David did? Now, Jesus is referring to a passage in 1 Samuel that we don't have time to turn to today, but here's the gist of what happened. David is the next anointed king of Israel, but Saul is still on the throne. Saul has kind of lost his mind at this point. He's turned away from God. He has rebelled and he's trying to kill David. And FYI, if you've not read the Old Testament, anytime somebody tries to hurt the Lord's anointed, it never goes well. They never succeed. And so David's on the run. He goes to a city called Nob, 
And um, he goes into the high priest, Ahimelech at the time, and he says, Ahimelech, I need some food for my men. And he actually lies to Ahimelech for the sake of keeping Ahimelech safe. Because he knows that if Ahimelech knows that Saul's trying to capture David, uh, Ahimelech gets put in a really awkward position because his loyalty is first to the king on the throne, even though David's the next anointed. And it would have put him in a pretty particularly difficult situation. So David says to him, look, Saul sent me on mission. I need this bread. And the show bread was 12 loaves of bread that were baked. And they were, according to the Old Testament um, uh, rituals and guidelines that God laid out, they were baked for the, the Sabbath and they were to be eaten the next day by those in the Levit- Le- Levitical line. And the high priest and his family could basically partake of them, but nobody else was allowed to eat them. So David lies to the high priest and then takes the bread that's supposed to be sacrificial and only for the high priest. And he eats it and feeds his men with it. Is that wrong? That's a tough one, isn't it? Well, David lied for the sake of protecting Ahimelech's life. When people in the Nazi Germany era hid Jews in their home and Germans came to the door and said, do you guys have any Jewish people here? Is the dilemma there, well, I have to be honest. Or is the dilemma to say, nope, nobody's here. Do you understand what I'm saying? The human necessity trumps the law. And so there has to be common sense when we adhere to these laws. And so on the Sabbath, what had happened is common sense had been thrown out the window. And so people are under rubble of a fallen building and there's hesitation to move the rubble. Like, dude, move the rubble. You could save somebody's life. And this is what happens when we add to the word of God. It becomes, we muddy the water and it becomes really difficult to have clarity on virtually anything. And so David tells Ahimelech, Saul sent me on mission. We need the bread. Uh, He gives him the bread. He takes it and he eats it and he feeds his men with it. And David ends up obviously surviving. He becomes the next king of Israel. David is part of the divinic. He is the head of the divinic line, which ultimately leads to Jesus, the Messiah, the messianic line. Do you see how God works in even the details? David's life is preserved in that moment because ultimately the Messiah would come through the Davidic line. It's pretty crazy when you start to look at the history of how the Bible unfolds and how God is working in every little moment. So that's the story that Jesus is referring to. And then he also gives another example. He says, what about the high priest? So what is Jesus saying here? Because what he says is, or in verse 5 of our section here in, in Matthew 12, or have you not read in the law on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? Well, what is Jesus saying? What he's saying is they are literally in the temple working on the Sabbath. Are they in sin because they're working? No. They're doing what they've been commanded to do and they're making sacrifices on behalf of the nation of Israel. So again, the human need trumps the law. And what Jesus is saying is, look, they are not defiling themselves or in disobedience because... They are being obedient to a greater command. Does that make sense? Are we tracking? Okay, we're not. Awesome. Are we tracking? Okay, right on. So here's the thing too. I love this. Jesus is so compassionate and merciful, but Jesus is, he is the lion and the lamb, but he's a lion too. And Jesus was bold. He was a man's man. He was not afraid to speak the truth and to do it with boldness. And to the men in the room, man, we need masculine men in our culture. And I would be ridiculed and crucified in this culture for saying that. But we need masculine men in this culture who are willing to speak the truth and count the cost of what it is to follow Jesus. 
And Jesus turns to the religious leaders of the day, and he looks at them, and you know what Jesus basically says by saying, have you not read? That would be like me getting the chance to meet the Supreme Court justices of the United States, and when I'm shaking their hand, being like, hey, by the way, have you ever even like read the law? Like, how disrespectful is that? That's their job to know the law. These guys had dedicated literally their entire lives to being experts in the law. And essentially what is happening here is Jesus says, have you not read in verse 3 and have you not read in verse 5? He's looking at them and saying, you guys read, but you don't know anything. And the tension is mounting. The Pharisees at this point are livid. They're like, okay, who is this guy? These guys are so angry at this point. How many of you have been watching The Chosen? This scene that we're reading is depicted in the, I think, the third season. Uh, And it's very cool to see it played out in in that type of narrative. And I will just say, with The Chosen, uh, I know there's all sorts of things behind the scenes and people debating about it. Frankly, the way that I view this is to not be legalistic and to say, I'm going to watch this and enjoy the fact that the story of my God is being put out for millions of people to see. And if there's little things in the background that are not great, well, hello, it's a bunch of men making the show. There's going to be problems. And so we need, to, we need to find that balance, you guys. I could spend a whole sermon on that, but we need to, this is about being legalistic. If we start condemning people for watching it, I've seen pastors do this, who are saying that people are in sin for watching it. I, I don't agree with that. If that's your opinion, then you can hold to your opinion, but we need to be careful when we start making big claims like that because uh, I would ask those people, do you watch anything else on TV? Because I would argue that it's less sanctified than a story about Jesus. Anyway, that's beside the point. So Jesus turns and says, have you not read to the experts of the law? But remember, he is the author of the law. And so with great authority, he turns to them and says, you guys read the law, but you know nothing. Hear this. Knowing God's word is so essential to the Christian faith. But there can be a danger in only acquiring head knowledge if that head knowledge does not transfer to heart transformation. You've been listening to The Bondage of Legalism, Part 2, on Walk in Truth. That was Pastor Michael's son, Pastor Shane Lance, as he teaches in Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. If you missed any part of today's program, Walk in Truth is on Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and many more podcast apps. Listen for free to Pastor Michael's teachings in more books of the Bible. Now here's Pastor Michael with the final word. All right, so you've heard some teaching on legalism. Perhaps you have a good working definition of that. But now you might say, well, but there's accountability, right? I mean, yeah, it's not right to be legalistic, but shouldn't people be accountable? Yes. And you might say, well, what's the difference between legalism and accountability? Accountability. You know, when Jesus taught about church discipline in Matthew 18, you go back and read those verses and they're, they're in a future study ahead of us in the book. Jesus talks about winning your brother, saving him from further harm, protecting his reputation by going to him in private. There's steps, and those steps are with an overall big idea of restoration. Let me say that one more time. The overall big idea in the Bible about accountability probably would be two major words. Protection— I keep someone accountable so that they don't hurt themselves and restoration after they've hurt themselves and others around them. Protection and restoration. Now, legalism is not about protection and restoration. Legalism is about someone really 
typically wanted to dominate or have their own way with peripheral topics. So just think about those two words. And if you are going to, if you're thinking about giving someone a life-giving rebuke, which Proverbs says you're a wise person if you receive a life-giving rebuke, if someone corrects you, receive it if it comes from this kind of heart, protection, restoration. This person wants to protect me. This person wants to see me right with God. That's all good, but not if they're just bagging on you to make themselves feel better or, you know, add to their club. This is Pastor Michael Lance. This is Walk in Truth. I pray that you're being blessed in your walk as we go through the amazing book of Matthew. My son is teaching these messages and he has one more to go. That's tomorrow. Hey, share this with a friend if you have questions in this area of life, and we all do. He'll do a part three tomorrow. I pray you'll join us. Keep us in prayer. We'll see you right here. We appreciate our Walk in Truth financial partners. You contribute to our ministry, broadcast, and podcast. As a thank you for your support, we've created the Walk in Truth app. If you'd like to become a Walk in Truth partner, any amount is appreciated. You can now give on the Walk in Truth app or visit walkintruth.com. And join us tomorrow for part three of Pastor Michael's son, Pastor Shane Lance's teaching in Matthew 12, 1 through 14, called The Bondage of Legalism. And the Messiah is standing in front of them and they refuse to receive him. And we look at that in our modern context in view of the cross, knowing the whole story and say, how could they do that? But you and I do that all the time. I'm Mike Massaro on behalf of Pastor Michael Lance and Living Truth Christian Fellowship. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people.